The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. There are business leaders that are making so much more than profit in their enterprises. They're elevating their businesses, teams, and themselves to add more value, and so can you. Welcome to the Business Elevation Show with host Chris Cooper. If you are looking for ways to elevate success while contributing to a better world, you'll want to listen for the next hour. Now here's your host, Chris Cooper. Hi, this is Chris Cooper. I'm fantastic to be talking to you again this week. Uh, thank you for tuning into the show. I want to say before we start today and talk with Peter Cook about leading innovation, creativity and enterprise, uh, a big thank you to my guest last week, Mark Levy. Uh, I loved talking to Mark, a fascinating individual who's been working with the the White House and he's been working with all sorts of uh, amazing um, people, um, sports people and uh, people in the arts and entertainment, um, helping them to position themselves. Uh, he's also a magician and um, helps uh, produce uh, magic shows, uh, which were featured at places like um, Carnegie Hall uh, and Las Vegas. Um, I took some real wisdom from Mark last week, and one of the things that I particularly love is this idea of free writing for 10 minutes every day. Um, do check out the recording. If you're interested in how you um, position yourself, how you come across in your marketplace, how you can then turn that into earning income, uh, then you want to listen to that show. And I'm delighted that Mark's going to join me again in the autumn um, because he's uh, got a, a great book on uh, on building, how to build, um, influence people, but do it in a really authentic way. So I've asked him back again. So to my show today, I'm um, thrilled to have Peter Cook on the show. We're going to talk about um, innovation, creativity, and enterprise. And his book of that title, uh, which um, has been published by Bloomsbury, we're going to discuss today the art and the discipline of creating great ideas and converting them into even greater innovations in business, society, and the world. Now, Peter has had the opportunity to interview uh, some amazing people, people like Richard Branson, um, people like James Dyson. I'm looking at his Skype picture at the moment, and there he is with, uh, with Richard Branson. Um, Peter, I think, offers something different. He's, he has a, a really unique blend of science, business, and music. He's been playing music since the age of four, and I think he integrates that in a really interesting way within his work. Um, he leads uh, his business, uh, Human Dynamics, and they offer this blend of business intelligence with parallel lessons for music via um, a, a brand he has, which is the Academy of Rock. Um, a perfect person to me to be talking to. I'm sitting here with a, um, uh, an ACDC T-shirt on at the moment. In fact, he's been, uh, as I said, he's been playing music since he's four. He's an author of and contributor to 11 books on business leadership, um, acclaimed by Tom Peters, Professor says Charles Handy, Handy um, Adrian Burnham, um, Harvey Goldsmith, CBE. His three passions, science, business, music, have led innovation, and he's led innovation teams for 18 years, developing life-saving drugs, including treatments for HIV, AIDS, 
herpes and the development of human insulin. He's then been in academia and he's had 18 years running businesses. Um, I'm out of breath now. Um, wonderful to talk to Peter Cook. Good afternoon to you, Chris. Thank you for the big build out there. Uh, you're very welcome, Peter. And I'm, I'm really excited to talk about with you today um, about, um, you know, obviously about uh, your book and, uh, and the links with music. Um, what about you based? You, you sound a bit to me like you maybe have a bit of an east london accent is that correct or? uh that's a common misconception ah. I'm, I, I'm from kent actually but i've frequently been cons- uh, confused with having an estuary accent <laughs> you're not far away though um, geographically when over 50 countries listening to this show then uh, yeah you're, you're fairly close to the east of london really pretty well yeah <laughs> um so what tell us where did this passion for science and business and music come from and integrating them well, when I, when I was five, uh, five years old, I think, I had a Beatles guitar given to me for my fifth birthday, and I tried to play all four strings. They, it wasn't a six-string guitar, but it was one of these plastic guitars, and uh, I screamed the house down, uh, but wasn't very good for a long, long time. I had about uh, ten years you know, strumming this thing before I became any good at it. Um, but I became interested when I sort of moved into secondary school and uh, in science. I was really mad keen on science. So there was music and science in my life for many, many years. And when I was 18, I went and worked. I chose science and worked for a pharmaceutical company. Um, loved that. I worked for the Wellcome Foundation, uh, which became GSK. Wellcome was the sort of the only philanthropic pharmaceutical company I've ever uh, known, really. It was like the Bruce Wayne of uh, pharmaceutical companies. It was a not-for-profit enterprise, but did incredible things. And it is like that thing we're going to talk about. If you want a culture of innovation, sometimes it's better not to control everything, but to be clear about the direction. So the great companies like Cadbury's, Johnson & Johnson, all those companies were really good on, on being clear on the, the ends, but actually allowing people to bring all of themselves to work, their brain, their heart, their soul. Welcome was like that. I loved it, worked there for a long, long time. And then eventually I couldn't get any higher uh, because my boss was in the way. And unlike many people's bosses, I really liked the boss. Uh, So you can't sort of get rid of them somehow. So I I moved out of that into uh, HR to have a completely different career shift and ended up getting a job in a university, tutoring alongside that job, teaching MBAs. I took a program there called, um, on the, I took the MBA myself and I took the program called uh, Creativity, Innovation and Change and it basically changed my life. Marvellous program, very experiential, not your usual MBA, two-dimensional grid sort of program and I eventually left uh, that job for uh, and went into the abyss and just thought I'll start a business and 22 years later I'm still standing to quote Elton John um, <laughs> and and I, the cheeky thing I've done in that sort of 20 years I started out doing very ordinary sort of uh, consultancy for companies business development organization development training coaching but I had this passion for music and I somehow over the years so all I've done in a cheeky way is added music to MBA thinking and a little bit of my scientific background, which gives me my sort of critical thinking skills. So I've synthesized science, business and music. And I go around the world doing talks to company where I also include uh, the audience, get on stage and play guitars with me. And we, we teach people improvisation or creativity if we're thinking about the equivalent business word and create and turning that creativity into things that people want need and are prepared to pay for so I think there was so much that came out of that life-changing MBA program that I studied uh, so I've had sort of three 18-year cycles of business management um, 
working in business and uh, science and uh, and music. Although I've been playing music for three times, eighteen years, I think. So, uh, as I say, eighteen till I die. <laughs> Wonderful. It could really have a you know a different sort of impact on people. I think music can't it when you if you integrate that into 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 the sort of environment that training. Yeah. I think music, as indeed, it's not just music, but music particularly reaches parts of you that perhaps a spreadsheet doesn't. And I'm not dismissing the importance of spreadsheets in business. There are a lot of creativity gurus out there that say, let it all hang out, man. And it's sort of like hippie management. Uh, I'm not dismissing the value of an MBA here. But the, the logic, the left brain, or what the, you know, the hair thinking that we use is sometimes less valuable than the tortoise thinking, where the slow synthesis is what Daniel Kahneman talks about, type B thinking. We need that sort of deli- uh, slower, deliberate, creative thinking to really escape from our, you know, our, world, our existing worlds. And companies, I think, are very good at getting things done, but sometimes the tram lines of getting things done stop them doing new things. And I really am not a fan of just being creative. I have met so many companies that are entrepreneurial and they say, well, in the next 10 years, we're going to get this right. Now, failure is important, but it can't be repetitive failure. So you do need the sequential thinking. You do need the spreadsheets. I'm not dishing Excel spreadsheets, but you also need that sort of crazy thinking I think it's really the analogy for me is like music that I meet so many people that are great at playing music to sheet music and that's your excel spreadsheet but also a lot of people are really good with their ears Prince being one of them he can't read a note um lots of got I interviewed a few people that have worked with Prince most of them are self-taught uh the really clever ones can do that and read the music um but you know there we have it it's both the sort of order the science the math the left brain and you know, the right brain, the creative thinking, and the sort of passion and all that stuff really matters. You just sort of you've just got me thinking about. I I decided I I play the guitar a bit, and I was trying to think about how best to demonstrate to a board of directors what it was like when you put people into the wrong spaces and the wrong roles, and they're out of flow. <laughs> so so what I was sitting was sitting there sort of talking about this, and then I. I pull out uh, my acoustic guitar from a cupboard and I start to play Wish You Were Here by Pink Floyd and I put the lyrics up and I got them to sing it. And you could see that for some of them they were in absolute excruciating discomfort. It's hilarious. I mean, the, the MD called me afterwards and said it was one of the, the funniest things he's, he's, he's ever done. He said looking at some of his team and how much pain they were, but they got the message. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it reaches another part, absolutely. Because they're so used to doing things themselves. Yeah, it reaches reach a different part. Um, so what, tell, you know, what did you learn when you were leading these innovative teams in the drug industry? What? Well, th- this was the 1970s when I began. Uh, it was a work-hard, play-hard culture. Um, we played very hard, including uh, down the pub. Uh, we'd do the work all morning and right up to late lunch and then usually have a long lunch uh, a bit more like living in parts of Europe actually and then we'd come back and sort of muck about for a bit and then eventually we'd get back to work but we never watched the clock I mean that nobody in HR ever had to say that we're down on our hours we worked thousands of hours more than we were supposed to uh, it was a great environment a laboratory environment initially when I worked in R&D and eventually I used to go around the world fixing factories but it's it was that it's I mentioned this in the book it's a 
construct I borrowed from the MBA program, I think it's still as relevant now as it ever was, uh, the four P's of creativity, you know, having a passion for what you do, being positive and not, you know, getting over setbacks, uh, that doesn't mean to say using positive language all the time, but, you know, finding a problem and then overcoming it, like James Dyson, of thinking this Hoover doesn't suck and I'll do something about it. Many people get stuck at the Hoover doesn't get stuck thing. So it's passion, positivity, playfulness. That could be mental playfulness as much as uh, sort of mucking about in the lab. And persistence, it's the sort of Dyson thing again of he had 5,127 prototypes according to him. Uh, it's like the Edison light bulb, how many do you need? You, you just invented a way to fail again, but then you move on from it and particularly learning from it. So I think it was very much a wonderful training ground at Wellcome where we it was a real exemplification of those four Ps for me. Uh, we and, and we did good work and the money came. It's the Merck thing, you know, focus on the end goal and don't worry too much about that. I think there has been a shift where people are focusing very much more on the means and sometimes they don't get then get to the goal. I think there's been a turnaround since uh, uh, some of the sort of writers at the MBA programs about being more focused and I think actually that's a mistake. And, and, what, and why? Well, I think that if you give people a degree of if you give clever people a degree of freedom about how they go about the task, but you're very clear on the demand or the end the end goal, they will bring their brain, you know, their head, heart, and soul to work. Mm. If you nail down everything, particularly for people who want to be self-directed, they just switch off. And that's a huge generalisation, but I certainly found it to be true in the pharmaceutical industry. These are people that don't need to be managed, but they do need to be led. Uh, that means setting a direction, checking in occasionally, supporting and enabling, and all of those uh, humanistic leadership skills that we have. But they don't need to be nailed down and saying, what have you done every minute? Um, that tends to stifle their uh, sort of ex this discretionary 110% that people discuss. Uh, I think it depends what industry you're in, but high levels of control are not consistent with what I call brain-based enterprises which is where we are now in the world, having you know, largely uh, stopped in this country at least uh, doing brawn-based industries. I, th I think uh, when there was some US research I thought fasc was fascinating, which said that 35% of, of employees would forgo a major pay rise to see their boss fired. <laughs> <laughs> and I think, I think what you're saying there, it, it is, you know, one of the things I, I'm passionate about is engagement. And if I look back, over the my career, and you know, there was a few, one or two, a couple of line managers sticking my mind who were very, very directive and very insistent on something being done in, in a certain way. I didn't stay with them very long. No, I mean Charles Handy's mentioned this many times over the years that the wise leader sets the you know vision and the direction and uh, and leaves people to go to. It rather depends on the culture whether that works. Some people do expect and want to be uh, uh, told more about what they sh the way they should do things. But uh, in the book I'm talking about for companies that innovate, uh, that generalisation generally holds true in my experience. So your book's titled "It's It's Innovation, Creativity, and Enterprise." Yeah. Uh, why did you choose that as a title? And and also. Uh, what's the difference between innovation and creativity for anyone who doesn't understand that? Well, it's called leading innovation, creativity, and enterprise, but I, I, the, even the publishers didn't notice this, that it actually reduces to lice. Uh, 
<laughs> so yeah, I do say to people in, in bars that, you know, you can get head lice from it. In other words, your head is on fire and you can have great ideas, but you needn't actually really get head lice. But it does reduce. It's a nice handy little reduction, which the publishers failed to notice. I was quite bemused by that. But you asked the difference of uh, creativity and innovation. And, and quite simply, uh, most of us are creative. I, in fact, probably I think everyone's creative. We've all had a strange thought that we thought we've invented the wheel or something more novel. Uh, but we haven't always done anything about that. And creativity is the thinking of novel ideas for their own value. Innovation is the realisation of those ideas and turning them into something that people want or need. And it may be something that they want and need are prepared to exchange money for if it's a private sector thing, if it's a, if it's a public enterprise or public service, then it's something they want and need which makes the world better. So creativity, ideas, innovation, the realisation. But I think there's a huge difference between uh, people's understanding of those things because it does bug me that people say I'm from the creative sector. And then sometimes it's sort of used as a crutch to say, well, I haven't actually innovated anything, but I have lots of ideas. <laughs> and, <laughs> I do a particular type of profile with people, and one of the things that identifies on a spectrum with your innovative, operational, people-orientated, or, or into kind of the detail and, and systems and the like. And I was talking to, to one person, and she said, yeah, that's very true. I'm, I'm, I'm really am. Um, creative and she said I've got I've, I've created 17 products and I said where are they so that well um they're all sitting on files on my shelf <laughs> yeah, there's nothing wrong with that of course no. but, but the, the inventors are often creative but they often need someone to take that creativity and realize it in the market a champion and or an entrepreneur and other people like that uh, to assume they belong all in the same body or can be in the same body is not always true and that's of course why teams are needed at work that's right. You need other people who bring their disciplines and can yeah. market, don't you? Mm, absolutely. Really important. Well, we're going to go to commercial break now. After the break, we'll start to look at uh, creativity even more and, uh, and start to look at how you can really sort of in, in, introduce some of these things more effectively into your organization and be even more effective when you're leading innovation, creativity, and enterprise. So do join us again in just a couple of minutes. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Would you like to work personally with the host of this show to help realize your potential? Chris Cooper supports business leaders and high potential individuals to achieve greater success in their businesses and careers. Support includes the opportunity to join a high return group mentoring and mastermind program called the Achiever Program. One-to-one -one mentoring and coaching facilitated leader development workshops and speeches. Email info at bemoreachievemore.com to arrange a free, no-obligation consultation to see how Chris and his team can help you. We hear it and read about it every day in the news. America is heading over a fiscal cliff. Home prices are still receding and unemployment growing. How can you preserve and increase your wealth in this kind of economy? Tune in to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with host Jay Taylor. Jay will explain the decline of our monetary system and the economy and will give you winning investment ideas and the tools to protect and increase your wealth. Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor can be heard Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. 
dog barking or an angel singing, then you know that you are listening to Waking Up in America. Heard every Wednesday at 3 Pacific Time, Valerie Kirkard and all of her friends will bring you powerful and humorous discussions that raise thoughts and give you insight on how to live your life to its fullest potential. Adventure is always a must on Waking Up in America with Valerie Kirkard every Wednesday at 3 Pacific. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into the Business Elevation Show with your host, Chris Cooper. If you have a question or comment about our show, please direct your emails to chris at chriscooper.co.uk. That's chris at chriscooper.co.uk. Now back to Chris Cooper. Hi, it's Chris Cooper. I'm with Peter Cook. We're talking about leading innovation, creativity, and enterprise. And, and Peter, in, in your book, you, you talk about the roots of creativity. So what are they? Well, uh, by roots, I mean what sits underneath everyday creativity. I mean, most companies, as you probably know in your life, when they want a creativity program, what they really always seem to start talking about is, can we have a toolkit? And I figured out some while ago through being immersed in a toolkit of about 130 tools that a lot of the tools are based on things that happen naturally. So what I call natural-born creativity. And the, the examples are very simple. I mean, I wandered lonely as a cloud. A lot of people get ideas when they're in motion. Mm. Uh, sometimes in you know severe motion like sports, which is probably related to endorphins, but actually gentle motion like going for a walk, being on a train, rocking about, sitting in a car, listening to the radio, being somehow sort of just being moved about a little bit. Um, so there are natural things that work for lots of people, but not everyone, uh, in the same ways that the recipes for creativity are you know, more or less appropriate. So I sort of figured out in the book a, a number of these things and sort of have tried to say, well, actually, if we can get beneath uh, the techniques, which is like the recipes, to the the underlying sort of roots of creativity, these things can be copied across and you can use them personally. So I do talk about things like sort of um, being distracted by something uh, or being detached, as it were, and not being immersed in your work. A lot of Some people find that they can only get great ideas when they have total immersion. Lots of examples through history seem to demonstrate that. But also a lot of uh, people are really good at getting ideas when they're off task. Um, so in other words, they're doing the ironing or they're doing the washing up. And one great, one great example of that, of course, is um, Alastair Pilkington, who, who thought of the idea of Pilkington glass when he was doing the washing up. So he mused upon the idea of building a washing up bowl the size of a football pitch, filling it with molten tin, and then floating, create, uh, float, not floating, creative, floating uh, molten tin on it. Uh, molten glass, sorry. Mixing my stories up. Um, and we've all had that thought about, you know, building the washing out bowl the size of a football pitch, filling out with tin, floating glass on it. But he went on and did it. Mm. And that's the bit between creativity and innovation. So he, he, he discovered that by being away from work. And uh, so that's one example of one of the things I talk about in the book of being distracted. But there are many more that have a lot of face validity insofar as people go, yeah, I've got, I've had that one, but not everyone gets them. And I suggest that people should be better at spotting where creativity works for them uh, is really, I think, the sort of idea of uh, the roots of creativity. There's, there's a, a book called The Power of Decision by Charles Barker. Mm -hmm. And in that, he's got this notion that 
ideas um, that you don't you, you don't sort of well ideas are seeking you as much as you're seeking them. Mm-hmm. And I sometimes say if I've got a I sometimes share that with a, a sort of coaching client who's maybe struggling to think well I've got this idea but I don't feel confident that I could actually do something with it and then I share that and say actually you know maybe that idea was looking for a home and the fact it's come to you it wouldn't come to you if it didn't think that you could achieve it do you think there's something in that or you know absolutely finding the right person to enact an idea I mean the fact that you are the the ideator doesn't mean to say you have to be the innovator so uh, I think successful people often surround themselves with people where they can yeah if they're if they're an idea a person that gathers lots of ideas they're quite good at then throwing those bananas out to other people that can realize them otherwise they do end up with 10 you know designs on the shelf that maybe haven't been worked on Uh, coming back actually uh, uh, to the question of being distracted and the Alastair Pilkington story of course great creativity tools which I do discuss in the book they often are if you like the built-up recipes the laid down recipes of what works naturally so there is a tool uh, based on being distracted uh, of using forced relationships uh, where you perhaps uh, in a session you're, you're stuck somewhere and you haven't got an idea and you just look around and find you know the bottle of water on the table or whatever's in front of you or you go out for a walk or you grab a catalogue and you just open the first page and you try and relate whatever's on in the catalogue to the idea you're struggling with. And many, many times when I've done sort of strategy away days with people, it's those kinds of methods that build on top of what people think of as, you know, brainstorming, as it were. It's those sort of weird things that unlock problems. I, I, can, I, mean, I do remember going to a well-known pharmaceutical company that uh, makes drugs for, um, uh, well... Um, Erections, I think is the correct word. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, they, was, they were asking me to redevelop uh, their thinking around a product. And they had done all the usual things. But I had brought a stack of uh, lifestyle magazines with me, which I'd thrown in the corner. And I just sort of said, well, you can go and read them if you want to. And they thought, what is the point of that? And they told me afterwards that the ideas that went to market and made a lot of money for them the majority of them came from these magazines and not from the thousands of uh, professional papers that I'd printed off on their behalf, which were in another corner. Um, and isn't that strange? Yeah. Um, so these things are not hard to do, but you have to be open to spot them. Yeah, uh, I think uh, I think you're absolutely right. And uh, so sometimes that different context, isn't it? The different A different environment to the one you yeah. might expect to be in and... Uh, and I, I hate being I hate being stuck in one place. And you're right by moving around, you learn more. But then there's so many organisations where they expect their people just to sit in one spot all day. Yeah, well, we uh, I mean Pfizer. It's obvious it's Pfizer. We, we'd actually made them to warm them up and get the climate right. We had instituted a corporate jam session the night before because the people coming to this didn't know each other. And you can do name tags and say, you know, my job is and go through all that for about two hours. But I actually had them play music the previous evening over after dinner. And by the morning they came for the 24-hour sort of uh, think tank about this. They were ready to go. So, you know, you can't get that kind of creativity without managing the climate and the corporate climate and you know, it isn't culture because it, climate is a more temporary thing, but we had to warm them up in order to let them dare to go and read those magazines and sort of – they weren't bad magazines, by the way. They're just sort of like lifestyle magazines. But, <laughs> you know, uh, it just – I'd printed – I don't think anyone touched all the stuff that they knew about, but I had to have it there. Mm. Yeah. 
Do you think the average business is, is creative and, and innovative enough today? Uh, no, is the uh, straightforward answer. Um, I think that we do live in this society where uh, sustainable advantages is getting the time, uh, so the half-life of that is getting shorter. Uh, you can actually see that businesses are now going in and out of business quicker over the last hundred or so years. Uh, everyone's got an Ansoft matrix. Everyone can do their five forces of Porter. They can all go to the Harvard Business School and do all this stuff. The only advantage you have is being more nimble, uh, having greater ideas and being willing to adapt your uh, products and services on a continuing basis and that for that you do need creativity that turns into innovation. Um, there is a because we can measure everything now there is a there are certain industries I think that then spend all their time driving th through the real view mirror and looking at what happened well that actually doesn't lead you to what's gonna happen uh, that is a broad generalization I know but you know we can be driven by metrics and measurement and uh, sustainable advantage doesn't come out of looking backwards always there's lots of learning by looking backwards but there may not be anything in there beyond that so we do need more creativity and more good creativity that turns into uh, sustainable business so we just we're talking about you know, people kind of maybe being locked into desks what are the things that maybe an organization can do to make sure that creativity does you know become more of a, a natural process within the organization i mean i'm thinking about taking people out to different environments and the like what what or adapting the office environment even yeah well i mean uh, part of my work is to do programs over over an extended block of time so i did do some work for the same organization but in ireland over about a year and a half where the leader of one particular unit was really keen to actually leverage uh, innovation within the unit so it had full support of the people uh, uh, at the top it wasn't the whole organization I have to say but it was a sensible unit and we went in and did a couple of days to warm them up uh, to sort of you know set the scene and then we did uh, every couple of months a sort of one day thing or then event it gradually tailed off my my role was a catalyst and what they did was they identified a couple of champions to take it on so I disappeared after a certain amount of time. But in fact, the guy that took it on is now renowned in the company as a world expert in this. And he goes round to other parts of the company, uh, introducing with his own particular flair on it, uh, he takes the program and, and takes it round the company. That That is what I call good organization development. So to come to your question, it has to have business it has to have a business case. It also has to have leaders and management that are prepared to let people bring them all of themselves to work. We supplied a toolkit, of course. We talked about natural-born creativity. We looked at the, the culture and climate, and there were things that needed to, to be developed on, and the leader was willing to do them. I mean, it all comes down to, uh, I think, having the will to do things, and then the work is easy. But we, we do that kind of program, the sort of LICE program, uh, in a number of of companies and and in that particular case they were able to identify a, a patent extension to a drug that had long been forgotten and they they got the idea from going back down a, a route of chemical um, analysis that they had long dis since discounted they had said it would never work and i introduced a technique called reversal um which is just turning it on its head of how can we ruin 
something or how can we ruin the company or whatever it is mm. and uh, they it, that according to them that caused them to go back down all the old synthesis routes which they had basically said were no through roads and one of them someone spotted that there was a way through and that made them millions uh, so crazy a sort of crazy idea just turning over lifting up a rock really and finding there's something good under it i mean do you have some experiences like that as well where you know you've sort of um what is your answer to the question of what what needs to happen in order to develop um an organizational brain as it were well i, th I think from my from my perspective i think you're right it depends upon the leaders and how open they are i mean one of the things i feel quite passionate about is is um is creating an office space which is you know, promotes and says straight away as soon as you walk in the door that we, you know, appreciate creativity and innovation. And I, and probably like yourself, I walk into many, many organizations and, you know, the foyer looks dull and boring and people are sat in rows in, you know, in the offices and there isn't uh, any, any sort of creativity built into the, into the design, into the, into the culture. Yeah, the built environment is part of it, I think, actually, although without that leadership, the built environment can be, you can have the beautiful ergonometric chairs, uh, but if the leadership isn't there, the, if the psychological environment is not there with it, then that can be a bit of a holdback factor. But I think you can design the environment, absolutely, to, uh, to encourage that. And if it's not welcoming, then, uh, you know, perhaps you don't feel like you want to be there for very long um uh, i'm i'm a, i'm a bit mixed on that because i i do know that many of the world's you know greatest drugs were invented in shabby laboratories mm. by, by underfunded science it can go the other way as well uh but feeling uh, yeah uh, so feeling under love doesn't have to stop it if if the psychological environment is good uh but it doesn't necessarily mean that repainting the building is going to help you and i know i mean i was at innocent uh, drinks who i interviewed for the book and they've got the both of the things going there they have a crazy built environment it's lovely to go there but they also have the supportive values and culture that goes with uh, uh permitting people to think the unthinkable and, and and then sort of if you like explain that to other people yeah i, I think there's been some i remember one organization a, a large organization which i was became an interim director for and i i, I could see though you know, lots of kind of blocks. There were subject areas that you just didn't talk about. <laughs> and, oh, yeah. <laughs> and uh, I remember, I think that the end of me was when I actually opened up Pandora's box in a large meeting and um, uh, and, and wanted to explore it and, uh, and they didn't want to explore it. And I think, yeah, I think some organizations can really stifle it. You know, people are concerned about what they, you know, what, by by being open to maybe their boss's boss or with an idea yeah. or um and you, you feel stifled and i think you've got to create a, a more open culture i think yeah um, you've given me a great idea there because um it's much easier to find examples of cultures that are not creative or innovative but i haven't yet written a book called how to ruin uh your your enterprise but there's a book to be written i think and it would be very easy to fill it with examples I, i've just come back from uh california and um the company I visited, fantastic company, but the boss is says he's into creativity, but it's really for him. And mm -hmm. so I spent a week with them, and and really couldn't get very far with them because he is quite he he wants growth, but he doesn't 
really want it enough uh, so I sort of retreated a little bit from that um, and there's plenty of capability in his organisation uh, so I'm sort of working on him now because uh, he's still keen but uh, he doesn't quite get the need to let other people put into the organisation and on a trivial level uh, a much funnier level over here I did once work for a well-known government uh, vehicle licensing agency in Wales but I can't name them obviously <laughs> <laughs> And I went to the DVLA and I was there <laughs> working there for about a, a couple of months. I was supposed to be there a couple of days a week. And a guy before had sort of bunked out of the job. And it, it turned out there'd been a lot of people had, had walked out. And I was there and um, I was there one day and they sat in rows, as you described, rather like the office. Um, they had rows and they were working. They had a massive change program going on and they had IBM in, in, in hordes of them and they were sitting over the other side in, in, in numbers. And I had been there for what, a couple of days just trying to find out what, how we could do what we wanted to do. And it turned out that the IBM people had all the information we needed to do our part of it. And we're looking across, you know, 10 yards across the the, uh, the uh, office and I said I said let's go and talk to them then and they let well, we're not allowed to I said what do you mean you're not allowed to they said we've been told because they're consultants that we're not allowed to speak to them so I said is there a force field then here so I sort of or electric fence so I just walked across this guy who happened to be playing um, solitaire um, oh. he wasn't over utilized and they were really helpful yeah. but people believed that they couldn't do it and it takes, in this case, an idiot like me to just walk across the line and say, would you mind helping me? And he was thinking, I'd love to because I'm not doing anything here. So isn't that amusing? But also a bit sad. It is. It is. It's sad. It's sad. I, I loved, um, I was listening to a guy uh, at a, an event from LinkedIn. Um, I think he was an ex-HR president. And he was talking about how, you know, he was to his first brief was to create a culture to that would attract the people they wanted to into the business mm. and uh, you know in a very you know in a business that requires sort of quite system systems orientated creativity um you know that, i think there's a lesson in that really rather than leaders just trying to create the culture that they want is thinking actually what's the best culture that could help us develop and grow and and i, I do generally believe that an environment that's happy and you know fun um, is going to like you know bring more uh, and add more value. And I, I think you can learn a little bit from sc some schools today. And my, my son's school and the way they teach is so much more creative and fun than when I was at school, and they actually enjoy it. Uh, yeah, we, which... we, we, we have done some work for schools uh, with rock music, but we'll perhaps come to that in a little while. I don't know. <laughs> but, but, but the difference between the leader that doesn't create the culture and the one that does is really like the race where the horse wins by a nose so Richard Branson isn't hugely different than some of the people I've described but he wins by a nose yeah yeah well on that on that uh, nose it's uh, time to move on to commercial break but after the break we'll start to look at uh, teams and uh, and how you can build creativity within teams so and, and and learn a bit about some of those conversations with Richard Branson James Dyson and the like so do join us again in a couple of minutes From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Would you like to work personally with the host of this show to help realize your potential? Chris Cooper supports business leaders and high potential individuals to achieve greater success in their businesses and careers. 
Support includes the opportunity to join a high-return group mentoring and mastermind program called the Achiever Program. One-to-one mentoring and coaching, facilitated leader development workshops and speeches. Email info at bemoreachievemore.com to arrange a free, no-obligation consultation to see how Chris and his team can help you. What if every day was a good day for business? Because every decision you made was the best choice. What if you could receive regular input from credible sources and could acquire all the precise information you need, exactly when you need it, so you can make the right decision every single time? Because There's More challenges you to make better decisions. Join Laura Ellis every Monday at 9 a.m. Eastern, 6 a.m. Pacific, and 2 p.m. GMT on the Voice America Business Channel and learn how to think differently for better decisions, better business. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. From the boardroom to you. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into the Business Elevation Show with your host, Chris Cooper. If you have a question or comment about our show, please direct your emails to chris at chriscooper.co.uk. That's chris at chriscooper.co.uk. Now back to Chris Cooper. Hi, it's Chris Cooper. I'm with Peter Cook. And Peter, let's talk about teams now. I mean, what's, from your perspective, the best way to build creativity into them? Uh, well, it's, I'd go back to my earlier point that you have to give them some degrees of freedom up where they can bring themselves to the team. So uh, if everything is nailed down, then uh, your team is really, it would be like perhaps a car making plant where everything is prescribed and there's no room for ingenuity. So you have to have, I think, work that allows creative contribution. You have to have also, the word diversity is often used these days to talk about sort of, um, you know, colour, race, uh, race and other things like that but in fact it's a business issue you need different brains you need the people that have all the optimism you need that they need to accept that the eeyore of the team has a valid contribution to say well hang on a moment i you know how does that fit with our resources so those great sort of outside the box thinkers need to be at respect the views of the the convergers mm. and the people that ask awkward questions there is a technique of course that models that uh, it's called the disney creativity strategy and it talks about three roles the dreamer the critic and the realist the critic is not a critic by the way it's someone who asks uh questions about the realism of the you know, the the dreaming but then the the, the realist synthesizes those two apparent opposites and that that works quite a lot in teams where you need those people with the crazy ideas you need the people who are the accountants who are going to ask hang on a moment how can we do that with what we got and you need the realists to synthesize the two opposites yeah definitely so i, I think that's a quite a good way of thinking about it in a, in a short to answer yeah i, I, I like that and that you know, sits neatly with a, a model of the world that i i use um, as, as well with a, with a lot of companies and um 
you know you do you do find that there's that there is that tension isn't there between those dreamers and between those people who you know are who probably probably often you see it people who are kind of operationally delivering and they may sometimes they're closer to the market and they're they're tending to look at what's what's um you know what's working right now um, yeah so they're not they're not future orientated however sometimes those future orientated people have too many ideas and and they're not well thought through and, 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 and executable the, the leader has a role, I think, in gaining respect from all those positions. Uh, ideally, of course, the leader shouldn't be needed, but you know, sometimes the accountant may be a little dour. Uh, but they uh, and they are, you know, sometimes criticised for having the, you know, the sort of seeing the dark side of an idea. But uh, all of those review views must be respected because usually what happens if if you do have a creative combination of those things, the idea gets developed. And I think so many people think that they have great ideas but ideas that succeed are usually ones that have been pressure tested or you know sort of um battle tested really and i think therefore you need that realism and that critic critique that goes into an idea the example i used before the break of the company in california they have tons of ideas but they they tend to once they've thought them they try and launch them and they have a high degree of failure of the ideas mm. because they are not developing an idea. I think it's an underused skill in the world of business is you have your idea, you're so passionate about it, you go out and lob it into the world. Uh, generally, you know, there's a high risk of failure with those. Uh, nothing wrong with failure, which we'll come on to. But if you don't want to have repetitive failure, then incremental development of ideas is important. And that's where those sorts of people really come in. There was a there was a well-known food company who did uh, uh, the, the process that I I won't say what it is. It's a, it's a branded branded sort of uh, process, uh, and they um, what they found found was that they had been they had gone through a round of uh, of taking out those people who were ne- that they perceived as being glass half full out mm-hmm. of their creative teams, and what they then found once they'd taken them out was that they were. There was too many ideas coming through, and, uh, and and they were having a high failure rate. So that you know, the outcome of going through the process was that they realised they had to go and, whether they'd sideline them or they had to go and put them back in the teams again. Yeah, they, I mean, a good metaphor. A good metaphor for this, or perhaps not an ideal one, is a nuclear reactor. Uh, you have to have you know graphite rods in to, to control the damn thing, but you do need to have you know radioisotopes and the sort of people that sort of are exciting the reactor. But you may not need too many of them. I, I've, the other problem with teams is if people say we are creative and we'll employ dozens of creative people, and that's like having unfocused jazz, you mm. know, where you get nothing that comes out of that that's listenable to. So you can have too many of the people you described, or you can have this so-called creative organisation where everyone has a great time, but nothing gets done. Yeah. Uh, or, or, or a nuclear explosion <laughs> takes place. <laughs> I, I just wish I hadn't said that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we'll, we'll move on. Yeah. <laughs> so, so tell us a bit about some of those... Um, you know the interviews. What you learn? What did you learn from speaking to Richard Branson and James Dyson? What were the standout things for you? Well, Richard Branson's a, an interesting character as a personal level, and also obviously Virgin is an interesting company. So I'll give one at both level there. I mean, Richard talks openly about his dys- dyslexia when he was a child, and one thing that marks him out, I think, is Richard 
is what is Richard great at? He's great at delegating work and he's great at trusting people to do his bidding. And it's like he's managed to use that constraint as a support mechanism rather than an obstacle. And I have a friend who works out of Vienna in the United Nations, and he draws an analogy with theatre. Uh, if someone's left a chair on stage that's not supposed to be there, the, the art of doing this is to use the obstacle rather than it get in the way. Mm. So R Richard seems to have realised that he's, there's certain things he couldn't do, like control people directly. You know, some of the things he says he can't really get into so much because of uh, his condition. What he's had to do is get a workaround on it. So at a personal level, I think actually he's used, I mean, there's a thing called the theory of constraints, which I'm sure you know, but some of the listeners might not be familiar with, which is around using constraints for creativity. Uh, and I think Richard is excellent at that. At a corporate level, I think the Virgin Empire is interesting insofar as it structures itself uh, into about 400 plus businesses that are not very big. And there's that idea that uh, from anthropology that as soon as you get to a certain size, it's difficult to maintain all the things that you want to do creatively, creative, creatively, and so so on. So. Uh, so the Virgin Empire is broken into small units, and that means it maintains a degree of nimbleness, although it is indeed a big unit, whereas you know, the average corporate uh, company that gets very large finds it very, di very difficult to preserve that small company thinking. So I think there's something interesting about the Virgin structure that isn't well talked about in the, in the world and, and well understood about sort of Dunbar's number, the 150-ish number that is apparently the most you can have in a tribe. Yeah, but he, but he's got four hundred plus. Yeah, uh, he's got four hundred tribes, yeah. and they they actually don't really oh, yeah. always they don't always know what the other tribes are, but they're good at what they do, and that's quite a, an interesting uh, thought. So, so the Dunbar's principle is that in each of those tribes, there's no more than one hundred and fifty. Yeah, uh, some of some of Richard's business are bigger than that, mm. but they're not they're not massive, mm. uh, and I, I think keeping. If you want to have a creative enterprise, you probably need to keep a feeling of it being small if it is genuinely big. And structure is one of those things that people think, well, what's structure got to do with creativity? Quite a lot, actually. Uh, the other thing that Branson is really standout point, and Dyson shares this, is he's not frightened to fail. Um, he tells a story, which I've got in the book, about Virgin Cola. Uh, he said, well, we were told we wanted to take Virgin Cola into the United States. And we were told that if we did anything in the US, we've got to do it big. So we thought, how can we do this? And uh, we ended up uh, getting a tank. I don't know where you hire tanks, but he, they, got this, they got this tank. And they went down one of the main streets in New York and crushed a load of uh, uh, Coca-Cola. And, and Richard's standing in the, in the tank like Che Guevara, sort of waving at people. They got a disordinate amount of publicity off of that, which is what another thing Virgin's good at, is yeah. using PR for its benefit. And they thought, this is it. We've done this stunt now, and it's all going to be great. And Coca-Cola were very relaxed about it. They just phoned up, I imagine they phoned up Walmart and all the usual people and said, we've got a bit of a surplus of Coke right now. Uh, would you mind stocking it in your shops please and they filled the, all of the United States with Coca-Cola for a month and by which time everyone had forgotten about Richard's stunt <laughs> <laughs> but the, the most important thing is he, he got over it 
I think people have failures and then they go into a terminal depression for 10 years. Um, So he's actually not frightened to do it. He's also not frightened to talk about it. And Dyson has similar stories about things he's tried and failed. And he, he values people that try things. And I think that's, that's the hallmark of great organisations. Uh, repetitive failure is different than trying stuff, but trying stuff and learning is what all the IDOs talk about. And these are great exemplifications of that. And there are other examples in, in the book as well, but uh, there's two anyway. Yeah, excellent. That's um, great. I had, um, had a conversation with uh, with Sarah Miller Caldicott, who's uh, oh, yeah. great. You know her great grandniece of Thomas Edison, mm. uh, and it's fascinating with you know Edison. He you know the failed and failed and failed and failed, but still ended, ended up with well, over twelve hundred patents in the U.S. And that was the U.S. alone. He had them in other countries as well in the end. But just that uh, you know ability to be happy to to fail, but just keep on with the idea and and uh, in, in creative ways to eventually get to a solution. Uh, draw a lot of inspiration from him. Absolutely. Um, so, how do you become? And at the end of your book, um, we've, so we've just got a, a couple of minutes actually left. So I will just be very um, quick. And um, I mean, actually, one one thing I would like to ask you in, in a sort of a minute before we go to a final message is, you know, what have you learnt um, about creativity from one or two of the rock stars you've met? Oh, crumbs! Yeah. Um, well, from Sheila E, uh, who's Prince's drummer. I mean, she's self-taught, uh, so yeah, trust her intuition. Uh, I don't think we can really cross this one over, but George Clinton, uh, the leader of Funkadelic and Parliament, I, I think he's really about what he calls cross-reference. Of, of t- it actually you can cross it over because it's all about diversity. He uses people that don't they're not the same as him and stuff like that. And I interv- I've interviewed people all through from the um, uh, Grandmaster of the Blues, John Mayle, and, and people like that. It's all on the website, so mm-hmm. I won't go into it in the time we have uh, right now. But th- there's dozens of lessons that are transferable. Ozzy Osbourne's guitarist talks about pretending to have nothing when you're coming up with a new guitar solo and that's if you're an expert at something what's really genuinely clever is pretending to be naive again yes uh, and he talks in some detail at the interview of saying well let's just clear the screen and uh, because expertise is a double-edged sword it means that you think i know all the ways around this and therefore i know all the ways that don't work but also really great experts know that they're sometimes they have to you know talk themselves back to thinking uh, as if they're a child so that naivety is important um get back to that get back to that playfulness mm. Yeah, which uh, reminds me, I'll be picking up my kids soon and I'll be coping with that playfulness um, on my own for a few hours this evening. <laughs> but uh, yeah, amazing what, what the, amazing the creative ideas that kids come up with and uh, we, we sort of become quite detached from that, don't we? I, so Absolutely. I just, want to, I just want to ask you, I've got two minutes, a uh, minute left and I need to finish then. Mm. Um, what, any final messages you'd like to leave us with? Well, yes, uh, on the Virgin front, uh, I got a colleague uh, called David Tate OBE who was Richard Branson's right-hand man. Uh, We're available to go around the world and do seminars like this, uh, short seminars or longer ones. And uh, I'm also working at the moment with um, Vicky Hamilton, who is Guns N' Roses and Motley Crue's manager for a slightly more sort of, uh, you know, stretching ex- experiment so uh, we, we do this kind of we do talks around the world uh, with people who've worked alongside people like Branson over the long term and uh, we do occasionally do sort of uh, seminars that involve music so that would be my message and becoming a true learning enterprise in a nutshell you've got to value the successes and learn from 
even harder value mistakes and learn from them. And I got this from sort of uh, the field of psychotherapy. People say that when something goes wrong, a lot of people ruminate too much. So mm-hmm. ref- definitely reflect, but don't ruminate. That goes on for 10 years. <laughs> Well, Peter, it's been an absolute pleasure talking today. Really fascinating. Thoroughly enjoyed it. Been really engaging. Um, lots of great messages there, I think, about creativity and uh, turning that creativity into, into innovation. Um, thank you, Peter. I hope you've enjoyed being on today. Been a pleasure. Thank you. And if you want to um, find out more about Peter Cook, I'd recommend that you Google um, Academy of Rock, Peter Cook, Peter Cook Academy of Rock, and there's lots of information there, and it'll connect through to his other websites, I'm sure, as well. Uh, on next week's show, we have Libby Wagner, and Libby's going to be talking to me about, she's the boardroom poet, she'll be talking about what will you do with your 90,000 hours. Uh, Libby has come highly, highly recommended to me from uh, many really respected sources in, in the United States, and uh, having had a, a conversation with her, she's a fabulous and fascinating lady, and a, and a poet as, uh, as well. Um, so, she has impacted the culture of many big um, FTSE, sorry, not FTSE, um, big US um, top 500 companies. So do join me again next week. Uh, have a wonderful uh, week. And once again, thank you to Peter Cook. We thank you for listening to the Business Elevation Show. Please join your host, Chris Cooper, again next Friday at 8 a.m. US Pacific time on the Voice America Business Channel. Be more, achieve more.